Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. We're doing a series going to last about 10 weeks uh, entitled Set Apart. Uh, last week, we uh, started in, into the series, just kind of helping lay a little bit of a doctrinal foundation, and I'll revisit that here in just a minute uh, as far as what being set apart looks like. Today, we're going to talk about uh, being set apart through prayer. Uh, kind of the whole thought of this uh, series, Set Apart, is really demonstrated by the, uh, by the logo and, and, and by this wall decoration we have. Uh, Jesus called us to follow him. And I don't know if you noticed it or not in the New Testament, a lot of times, most of the time, Jesus wasn't going the direction of the crowds. Amen? And, uh, and, and that's what the issue represents. We need to be following him. We need to be different than the world. We need to recognize that, that God has set us apart to himself uh, through the finished work of Jesus. Uh, that being the case, I want to challenge you to start thinking about your life maybe in a different way than you normally think about your life. Whatever it is that you feel like you're called to do in your life, whatever your vocation is, that's not your true calling for most people. Now, mine may be a little bit different, you know. Uh, people that, that's called a full-time Christian ministry. Uh, and, and sometimes we, we kind of uh, compartmentalize those things. But what I want you to understand is simply this. If you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, Whatever else you do in your life, that's not really who you are. You're supposed to be a follower of Jesus. You're, you're supposed to be uh, serving him, serving others, sharing the gospel. Uh, and, and no matter who you are in your life, in any other context, what you need to learn to do is bring your Christian faith and Christian actions over into that context. Does that make sense? You understand what I'm saying uh, about that? So... Uh, last week, as we started talking about uh, being set apart, I gave you a, a definition of sanctification because really set apart and sanctification is just two different ways of, of saying the same thing. Uh, Nelson's uh, Illustrated Bible Dictionary says this, it's the process of God's grace by which the believer is separated from sin. So th- there's an aspect of sanctification or being set apart, but keep reading, and becomes dedicated to God's righteousness. So, so the Bible teaches there's kind of a twofold aspect to being set apart. As I mentioned to you last week, the moment you trust Christ as your Savior, God sets you apart. You are past tense set apart unto Him. It's a finished, done work. It, it, it's finished forever. It, it's, it's a done deal, is the way I put it last week. It's a done deal. But... Even though that's the case, once we're set apart to him, it's also a process to where we need to be allowing him to, to, to transform us to be more and more like the Lord. You, you can say it's permanent then, and it's also a progress. It's a done deal. Sanctification is if you're a believer. Finished past tense, God has set you apart to himself. But it's also a work in progress. So it's permanent and also a process is taking place. A lot of this series, we're going to focus on the 
process part. The work in progress part. And one way that we can set ourselves more apart to God is through prayer. The way that kind of simply works out is this. <laughs> when, when you decide to pray, you pull aside and you're spending time between you and God. You set yourself apart to Him. We're going to be in Psalm 4 today, so if you want to follow along in your Bible, but I'm going to read one verse uh, out of Psalm 4 to start with, verse number 3. And uh, in it, uh, King David writes these words. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. Now in context, and you'll understand it more as we go through the message, in context, David is saying, God has set him apart to be king. Not Absalom, by the way. And you'll also understand why I'm bringing that in. So God has set King David apart to himself. And the Lord hears, David, he said, the Lord hears when I call to him. That's the immediate context. But the larger context for us is this. God has set you apart to himself. God didn't set David apart because he was godly. God had made him godly. (laughs) God doesn't set us apart to himself because we are godly. He makes us godly through his son. And when he sets us apart to himself, this amazing thing happens where he hears us when we call upon him. And that's why we need to spend more time in prayer. Now, now I want to stop for a minute. Everybody, everybody, I want you to look this way. Everybody look this way for a minute, okay? I want to warn you about something. I've seen it happen over 34 years of ministry. It's almost like you preach about tithing or witnessing or prayer. You know, it's like, well, okay. But 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 then you kind of go to sleep in your mind. And I think part, part of that is here is, is, is the reason. Part of this is the reason. We don't like being confronted with prayer because none of us feel like we're praying like we should. Huh? So the, the, don't, don't just go blank on me. Stay engaged because we, we need this stuff. We need to pull aside more to God and spend more time with him in prayer. We've been set apart to God past tense by God's own choice through the finished work of Christ. But in practical ways, by our activity, such as prayer, we can also set ourselves apart to God. I alluded to it kind of a moment ago, but think about it like this. If you're truly praying in that moment that you pull yourself apart from your busyness in your life, your worries, your concerns, whatever's going on in the world or whatever. In that moment when you pull yourself apart to pray, you have set yourself apart to God, haven't you? Think about it in those terms. So in a practical way, it's what we're talking about today. This practical process of sanctification, let's learn some things about how we can set ourselves apart to God through prayer. Begin with the title the title given this psalm literally calls us to pray. I, I know not all things listed in the titles in the psalms are uh, things that were necessarily added in by divine inspiration by David, but some of them were. Uh, some of the, the titles and the instructions that, that were given there. Here's three different translations that kind of shows the title. 
While we're talking about Psalm 4, we're also going to be considering Psalm 3. Not reading the verses or anything, but, but the background, Psalm 3. King James Version says Psalm 3, a psalm of David, when he fled from Absalom his son. Let me just stop and put something in that we'll deal with more detail here in a few minutes. If your son has taken the throne from you and he's seeking to kill you, it's time to pray, isn't it? Psalm 4, the heading says, to the chief musician on the Neganoth, the Psalm of David. New American Standard puts this title on it. Psalm 3, morning prayer of trust in God, a Psalm of David. When he was fleeing from Absalom, his son. Psalm 4, an evening prayer. So even in this title, it, it suggested that, say, we, we need to be praying more than once a day. David had this issue going on in his life, and he's praying in the morning, he's praying in the evening, he's probably walking around praying without ceasing like the Bible tells us because of the situation he was facing in his life in that moment. The English Standard Version, the version I tend to use a a lot here on Sunday morning, uh, it has this title, Answer Me When I Call. And you'll see that here in a few moments in, in this passage of Scripture. To the choir master with string instruments, a psalm of David. So in the very titles given to this psalm, it calls us to prayer. A a morning prayer. It's designated as an evening prayer. And while Psalm 4 doesn't say at the first of it, that it was a prayer during the time that David was fleeing from Absalom, Most Bible scholars believe that Psalm 3 and Psalm 4 are a continuation, and it was written during the same time period of David's life. So why it doesn't say it in the heading, the situation that David was facing was that his son Absalom was trying to kill him and seize the throne. For that reason, in the ESV, in the very first part of verse 1, David cries out and he says, answer me when I call. Showing a a sense of urgency. We'll talk about that sense of urgency more in a moment too. A little bit more background. Uh, Psalm 3 is the first time in the book that the word Psalms is mentioned. The very first time it is mentioned. The Hebrew word is the word mazmor and it means to pluck strings. God John does on the guitar up here. It's also the first prayer in the Psalms. It's the first psalm attributed to David. And an interesting note from Psalm 4 is that it says to the chief musician or the worship leader, you might say, on the Neganoth, and that's simply saying this, to the choir master, to the music leader, to the music director, with, with the string instruments. And while that is a direct statement, just simply saying that David is saying, hey, I want you to do this song. It's kind of like in the series that we just finished up. You know, all my hope is in Jesus. I felt led to call John. I don't do it too much, but I felt led to call John and say, John, I think we need to do this song for this series probably about every Sunday. And, uh, and, and David's requesting this prayer, this psalm that he's writing to be done in worship and in song upon the, the, the string instruments. He writes it to the chief musician in, in the Psalms. The, the word chief musician or worship leader 
appears 53 times in 53 of the Psalms. Now that leads me to suggest this. That leads me to say that the worship leader is an important position, isn't it? For it to happen that often. And I don't do this often enough. But uh, John, where are you at? I told you not to go off and hide somewhere. Where are you at? Okay, he's back there. He's reluctantly holding his hand up. He doesn't know, you know, whether it's safe or not, I guess. <laughs> the position that John has here serving God in this place is an important position. And we don't show it enough, but I want to show him just some appreciation for all that he does for us. Oh, someone's cheering up here. Okay. I'll think of something weird later to do, John. I just, but I'm just kidding. Uh, I want you to think about this. I told you the context of it is when David was fleeing from Absalom. Absalom has seized the throne. Absalom has led some people to follow him in rebellion. Absalom is seeking his father David's life. And David writes this prayer, and he writes this psalm, and he says, I want you to play it on the stringed instruments, which is probably referring to the harp and the lyre in that day and time. But here's the deal with that. Imagine this. You're in David's situation. Your own son is seeking your life. Somehow David could find it in himself to write a psalm and want to turn it into music and focus upon prayer and worshiping God. Amen? That's a lesson for us to learn because we will face difficult circumstances in our lives. And instead of allowing ourselves to become so despondent and so discouraged, right in the face of it, we ought to pray and we ought to worship God anyway. But here's a more depth to it that some Bible scholars see. Anytime it mentions upon the string instruments in the Psalms, because many times of what the context of that Psalm is about. A stringed instrument only plays the right note when it's under the correct amount of tension. Is that right, John? Oh, it'll play a note. (laughs) But it only plays the correct note when the stringed instrument is under the right amount of pressure, the right amount of, of tension. Just maybe there's a hidden illustration there from the Holy Spirit to us. Because David's life played the right note when he was under pressure. Just maybe a message to us is this. It's when we're under pressure. It's when we're under tension. It's when we find ourselves in difficult straits many times. That in that moment, God can take the tension and the pressure and cause our lives to play a right note for him. Cause us to become more prayerful and more worshipful in that moment. David, even though he was in this terrible situation of his son wanting to overthrow him and take his life, he, under that tension, plays the right note as he writes this psalm. Second thing I want you to see this morning about how we can set ourselves more apart to God in prayer is in the background. I've alluded to it loosely, but not in in detail yet. But the background of this psalm should motivate us to prayer. 
Those titles that we looked at kind of call us to prayer, morning prayer, evening prayer, situations that were taking place. But the background of this psalm should motivate us to pray. I told you what the background was. It's written during the time, most Bible scholars feel like it's written during the time when Absalom was seeking David's life. Can you imagine your own son, your own child, seeking your life? Can I give you a little bit more background to this? Because there's a lot of water under the bridge here besides just Absalom seeking David's life. David had more than one wife. We don't do that in this day and time. It was part of the culture there. Even had concubines. I'll come back to that in just a moment. I suggest you don't do that. Your wife will shoot you. (laughs) But David had other wives. A son of David's threw another wife, not Absalom's mother. Became infatuated with David's daughter, Absalom's sister. So it would have been his half-sister. He became so infatuated with her, he kept on thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. And he winds up forcing himself upon her sexually. Absalom finds out about it. Absalom kills his half-brother. Then, through the circumstances taking place, Absalom decides he's going to be the king. He goes around behind the scenes and he plots and gets people to follow him. And they're going to install him as king. And David and his men have to flee. After he flees, Absalom even takes the concubines, I mentioned a moment ago, of David, goes up on a rooftop and has sex with them in front of the eyes of all of Israel. Now that's David's situation. Time to pray, huh? I've never been in those exact circumstances. You've probably never been in those exact circumstances, but, but if you were to be there with urgency, you, as David does here, would say this. Answer me, God. Answer me when I call. Answer me all this that I'm going through. God, God, answer me. And he's got good motivation to do it because David remembers that God had helped him in the past. He said, you've given me relief when I was in distress Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. We'll talk about that in in detail in a moment. The truth of the matter is this. If you've been set apart to God, why not take time to set yourself apart more to prayer? No, your circumstances may not be the same as David's, but all of us have had circumstances to where we were in distress, circumstances to where with urgency we wanted to cry out. Sometimes it might have been about our children. I've had my children to rebel before sometimes. Have you ever had your children to rebel? 
And you, and you feel that in your heart and you feel that in your soul and you hurt for them when they're making bad choices and, and poor choices in their life. I, I, I can't imagine having a child wanting to hunt me down and kill me like David was facing here in the background of this psalm. But in the face of it all, David did what we need to learn to do. And that's we come to God and we fall on our face before God and we pray and we ask God to move. We say, God, answer me now. God, you've done it in the past. God, I need you to help me now. That's the background to this. The, the, The tragedy of it, I think, might be this. We who receive Christ as our Savior, we can call upon the God of all the universe. The one that's holy, holy, holy. And how much do we waste that privilege and fail to do it? If some opportunity were to arise for you to be able to talk to the President of the United States, depend on your political persuasion, whether you'd accept it or not, I guess. I've had the chance to meet a couple in the, in, in, in the past just, just briefly I always thought that was a privilege, you know. If someone said, you, 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 regardless of political party, well, here, you, you, you can go and meet and talk to the president. You, you probably do it. Or some king of some country. You'd probably do it. You'd probably jump at the opportunity. And we as believers have the chance to talk to the one that's holy, holy, holy. That the angels sing about 24-7 in heaven. And we, we, we fail to pray as we should. We've got the opportunity to, the, the background of this psalm. I, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what your tension, what your pressure may be in your life today. I'm simply telling you this. What you need to do is pull apart from whatever it is, and you need to set yourself apart to God and pray. Third thing I want you to see this morning is this. And we're just going to walk through. I'm just give, gave you some background stuff. We're just going to kind of walk through Psalm 4. And look at some proofs of this psalm that encourages us to pray. This is not going to be an exhaustive exposition of prayer. We can even do that in one service. There's been times that I've looked at the Lord's Prayer and we've talked about things there, but even even that's a sample prayer for us to go by. It's not a a full exhaustive uh, teaching about prayer. So that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just going to try and give you some some suggestions, some truth, some information about prayer that maybe can help you as you pray. First one is, is this. Pray with urgency. Pray with urgency. I'd already alluded to David being urgent. Verse 1, he says, answer me when I call. That phrase, answer me, he's, he's literally saying, God, I, I, look at me. I, I want you to eye me, God. I want you to pay, pay attention to my situation. And the word in the, in the Hebrew implies that he's asking, expecting a response. He's crying out saying, God, I'm, I, I want you to hear me uh, when I call you, when I, when I call out to, to, to accost you, to get your attention. You, you've done that before. Be out somewhere in a public place. You see somebody you know and, and, and you yell over and try and get 
their attention and hopefully you're on good standing with them. They don't go hide from you or something at Walmart thinking I'll go two or three aisles over and maybe I'll lose them. But you, you've done that. You, you, you called out. John was heading that way pretty fast before between services. And, and I was trying to, to, to catch up to him and I got slowed down. Someone talking to me and luckily he got slowed down. Somebody talking to him. So they would kind of catch up and, and call his name. And he turned around and, and looked at me, uh, because he'd, I'd, I'd seen him some information and everything. He's preaching next Sunday, by the way. So pray for him as he prepares. And, uh, and John always does a good message. I've got to go teach church planters this week. I'm going to be here, uh, Sunday, but I just needed somebody else to preach. So he's agreed to do that. And he's going to talk about being set apart by holiness. Uh, that's what we're going to talk about next week. So pray for him as he prepares. But, but I just kind of yelled to get his attention and, and, and accost him. That, that's kind of what David's doing. He's yelling out to God. He's saying, God, look at what's happening in my life. My, my son's rebelled against me. My son wants to take my life. He's, he, he's crying out to God with urgency. And, and that's the way we need to pray in our prayer life with, with a sense of urgency to God. And expect to see. He's expecting a response. We, we also need to pray with right standing with God. Matter of fact, that's the only way you can really truly pray if you have right standing with God. Look at how David refers to God. He says, answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. Now don't read that so quickly you misunderstand what he just said. David didn't write... Answer me when I call, oh, my righteous God. That's not what he prayed. There's a big difference there. He could have said that and be completely true, amen, because God is righteous, amen? But that's not what he's praying. Instead, he's praying, he's writing this. He, he's saying this. Answer me when I call, oh, God of my righteousness. In other words, David is saying, God, you're the one that made me righteous, God, you're the one that changed my life. God, you're the one that set me apart to you. God, you're the one that saved me. God, you're the one that, that, that called me to yourself. God, you're the God of my righteousness. Without you, I wouldn't be righteous. And he's calling out to God in that way and saying, God of my righteousness. God, I, I need you to answer my prayer. And you see, that's an important aspect of prayer because whether you like it or not, until you receive Christ as your Savior, you don't have a ground to stand on to expect God to listen to you. The shed blood of Jesus is what gives us access to the throne room of God, to the very holiness of God. He's the God of my righteousness. That's the only reason I can call upon him because he's made me righteous. If you know Christ as your savior, he's the God of your righteousness. And that's why you can call out to him with right standing. We also need to pray from past experiences of answered prayer. Kind of alluded to that a moment ago, talking about the background but he says this in the last part of verse number one, after he says, God, I, God, I need you to listen. I need you to answer my, my prayer. God, you're the one that made me righteous. Then he says this, you have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. You've broadened or enlarged my life in the past. You've you, you kind of set me free. You've made things wide open in the past. God, when I've been in a tight place, when, when I've been in trouble, when I've been in tribulation, 
God, when I faced circumstances that was like a pebble or a sharp flint stone that was causing pain in my life, just like somebody pushing that, that sharp flint stone into your flesh. He, he's saying, God, you've, you, you've heard in the past. You've given me relief. You've set me free in the past. He had called out to God when Saul was seeking his life. Saul threw a spear at him, angry because everyone was singing about how David had done such a great job in killing Goliath. And and Saul was guilty because of his disobedience. And he knew that God had already said he was going to take the throne away from him. He had been in times when the enemy armies were after him, such as the Philistines. And the Bible said he'd go down into a hole. Like into a hiding place, into a tight place. And, and God has set him free from that over and over and over again. So it's with that past experience that David is praying and he's saying, God, you did that for me in the past. God, I want you to be gracious to me and hear me now. I want you to listen to me now. I want you to hear my prayer now. God, I want you to, to, to bend or stoop in kindness is what the word gracious means in the Hebrew. In this particular instance, I want you to, to stoop in, in kindness to an inferior. God, I, I need your favor. God, I need you to, to bestow something. The root word means to incline or decline, like the slanting rays of the sun. It's also used to talk about a, a, a tent being pitched or in camp. He's saying, God, I, I need you to, to bend low. God, I need you to hear intelligently what I'm calling out to you about. This intercession, this prayer that I'm making before you. God, I need for you to listen to what I'm saying. He's saying, God, there have been times in the past when I called out to you in other situations in my life, and you have given me release. You have helped me. You've given me relief in my distress. David recognized that he was the inferior, and he's calling out to the superior, and he's saying, God, I want you to bend down. I want you to listen to what I'm saying. God, I want you to to, to send rays of, of help from heaven, rays of sunlight from heaven into my life. God, I want you to pitch your tent and encamp around me and help me in this situation that I'm facing. God, I don't hardly know what to do. My own son wants to kill me. And and he prays in that way and in that fashion. See, my suggestion to you is we pray the same way. There have been times that I've prayed in the past and God answered. How about you, huh? And when you're in new circumstances and new difficulties and everything, instead of allowing the devil to get us discouraged and defeated, we need to remember, I called upon you in the past, and God, you stoop low. I'm an inferior. God's the superior. But somehow, even though that's true, because of my faith in Jesus, I can call upon God and the God of all the universe, the one that's holy, 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 will bend low and listen to me. And the amazing thing is, when he's listening to me, he's also listening to you. He's listening to millions of prayers all across this world. That's how concerned God is for us. Why don't we spend more time in prayer? A lot of people get flipped out about prayer, especially public prayer, because they've heard people wax eloquently before and and, and pray in the King James, Elizabethan English. And, And you're thinking, please don't call upon me to pray. I can't pray like that. Well, you see, you don't have to. You're just talking to your daddy. Amen. To be honest with you, 
I ought to be able to call on anybody in this worship center that knows Christ as their Savior and ask you to pray, and you shouldn't be flipped out about it because you're just talking to your Father. You're not talking to the rest of the crowd. You're talking to your Father. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about your prayer. You're not trying to meet some standard for somebody else. You're just talking to your Father. And let me take the pressure off a little bit. Jesus said this, For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So if He knows before what you need before you ask Him, you can't mess it up to begin with. Amen? We, we, we need to spend more time in prayer. And we need to be willing to set ourselves apart to God in, in, in prayer. We need to do it. Understanding that, that that we have right standing before God, we need to do it with urgency. We need to do it remembering our past experiences, how God has helped us in the past and expect God to help us in the future. We also need to pray with transparency, to pray with transparency. <clears throat> in verse 2, David says, oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? It's David saying that. You, you might read that and think that's God saying that to mankind, which is true. Uh, you can apply it like that. But the immediate application here is David, I think, looking at the men that are following Absalom. And David is looking at those men and saying, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? You see, David was supposed to be king. God has set him part, apart to be king, not Absalom. Oh men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? And then he, he uses that little word salah there that means a, a suspension of music to pause and consider what was just said. So he's saying, hey, uh, everybody, you need to think about what I just said. <laughs> what I want you to grab from that is David is just being transparent. David's human. He doesn't like it what Absalom is doing to him. He doesn't like it that people that used to follow him and be part of, of his mighty men, some of them had defected and some of them were following Absalom around. He, he's upset about that. He's discouraged about that. But here's the deal. He, with complete transparency and honesty, prays how he feels before God. And that's the exact way that you ought to pray. I just told you God knows about it already anyway. Amen. If he knows about it already anyway, just be transparent. Tell God how you feel. Even if you're upset with him, tell him about it. He's God. He can deal with it. He can handle it. He wants us to be transparent in our hearts as we, we pray to him about the circumstance that we're going through. We also need to pray with confidence. And this is a send-on verse that I read to start with in the introduction to the message. But we need to pray with confidence. But no that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. Like I said, that's an immediate reference to David saying that God's the one that set me apart as king. God set me apart as king. I know he hears me when I call to him, but we need to expand the application out to us. That's why God left it in the scriptures. It's for our teaching, for our encouragement, for our instruction in righteousness, the Bible says. So here's the deal with us. God has set us apart. He made you godly through Christ. He set you apart unto himself. And the Lord hears when I call out to him. God has distinguished. God's put a difference. He, he, he set you apart and he listens 
when you call out to him. So why don't we do it more? With confidence, if you know Christ as your Savior, with complete, total confidence, you can pray knowing that God hears you. Not maybe God will listen. Not maybe if I beat myself up enough, God will listen. Not maybe if I grovel down in the dirt enough, God will listen. No, because he has made you righteous. He has made you godly through his son. He will hear you when you call out to him. And we need to pray with that type of confidence. We also need to pray like this. We need to pray with correct attitudes. Verse 4 and 5 says, Be angry. David writes these words, Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts, on your beds, and be silent. (laughs) And then he throws that little word in that means stop and think about what was just said. Then he says, offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. I think maybe David's given himself and his men a little bit of a reminder. Was David upset with Absalom? Sure, because of what Absalom had done and what was taking place. Was he experiencing some anger, maybe some righteous indignation? Sure, he says, be angry and do not sin. But then he gives a real good instruction for David to remind himself about and maybe the other people that are following him. And for all of us who read it in the scripture still yet today, before we get angry and attack somebody else, we need to ponder our own heart upon our beds. We need to see ourselves as we are. We need to be honest before God and look at ourselves and be silent when we look at ourselves and offer the right sacrifices with the right kind of attitudes, putting our trust in the Lord. If if we pray with wrong attitudes, it hinders our prayers. Let me give you an example of that. Paul said that he had turned over Hymenius and Alexander over there in Timothy to Satan that they had learned not to blaspheme. Now think about that. The apostle Paul is turning two troublemakers over, two false teachers over to Satan, wanting Satan to take them and shake them so they would learn not to blaspheme God. Now, there's a way to do that in the right way and there's a way to do that in the wrong way. I'm afraid we do it in the wrong way a lot of times. God, I don't like Hymenius and Alexander. They've hurt me, God. I don't, I hate them. I don't like them, God. I hope you'll go get them. God, take them and teach them a lesson. Or you can pray from the standpoint of God's purposes and God's righteousness. God, take them and shake them so they'll learn not to blaspheme. You see, it was all about God's kingdom, it was all about what was right. I think that's kind of what David is doing here. Be angry and don't sin. Think about yourself. Look at your own heart upon your bed at night. Stop and think about that for a minute before you attack somebody else. We need to pray with the right attitudes. And then lastly, we need to pray to encourage ourselves. You need to pray to encourage yourself and others. The last three verses of this psalm. David says, there are many who say, who will show us some good? Lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. And then he says this, you have put more joy 
in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Do you hear what he's saying? There were people saying, who's going to show us some good? Maybe David was thinking that. Maybe he had heard his men murmuring a little bit, saying, this is bad. This don't look too good. You see, it wasn't just David's life that was on the line. Absalom wanted to kill David and his mighty men. He wanted to kill those that were following him. So they could have been real depressed and real discouraged. And they're thinking, this looks really bad. This isn't good. This isn't going to turn out like it, like it should. And who in the world is going to show us any good? So I think what David writes here in this prayer, in this psalm, he was doing it maybe to encourage himself and maybe to encourage others who were following him. Who will show us some good? God, lift up the light of your face upon us. God, you've put more joy in my heart than when there's a huge harvest and there's plenty to eat and there's plenty of wine to drink. God, you give me more joy, more happiness than any of that. He's saying, God, even though their grain might, might be in abundance and the, and the, and the grapes came in in a great way and, and there's a huge harvest of the wine and, and all that, everything looks good out here in life. Everything looks good in the economy. Everything looks good in the pantry. Uh, God, even though all that's true, he's saying, God, you've given me more joy in my heart than all those things. And God, because of the joy you've put in my heart in peace, I can lay down and sleep because the bottom foundation truth of the matter is this God you're the one that keeps me safe yes Absalom was trying to hunt him down Absalom was wanting to take his life but in faith he's saying God no matter what I'm going through I can still have joy in my heart I can have more joy in my heart than when everything's good and everything's smooth in life God I can have joy in my heart and lay down and sleep and have peace because you're the one that keeps me safe isn't that true? Doesn't matter how many alarm systems we have in our homes and weapons we have in our homes and anything like that. All of that doesn't matter. God still has to be the one that keeps you safe. He's still the one you have to trust in. And that's simply what David is saying. He's praying in a way that encourages himself. He's praying in a way that encourages others. And I would suggest that's the way we need to pray. When we're going through difficult times and others are going through difficult times, we need to rehearse in our minds and with our voices the great joy we have in our heart because of Jesus. And direct people to a higher plane than the troubles that they see themselves facing. All I'm trying to tell us today is this. If we want to set ourselves more apart to God, we can set ourselves more apart to God by taking time in a practical way and spending time in prayer with the Lord. Yes, you have been set apart. If you know Christ as your Savior, you have been set apart. It's a done deal. But at the same time, it's a work in progress. And one way we can benefit that work in progress would be for us to spend more time in prayer, set ourselves apart, pull aside from all the junk, and set ourselves apart to pray more.
As I was studying this week, I found this story that I wanted to use for an illustration. Instead of telling that, I thought I'd go ahead and put it on the screen. The, the, the illustration is about the power of prayer. And it said a man dreamed while traveling that he came to a little church and on that roof was a devil fast asleep. He went along a little bit further on his trip and he comes to this log cabin which was surrounded by devils all wide awake. So this man asked one of the devils, he said, what does this mean? And the devil said, I'll tell you. The fact is that the whole church is asleep and that one devil can take care of all the people. But here, here in this little cabin, here there's a man and woman who commune with God in prayer. And they have more power than the whole church. Isn't that a tragic story? But it could be a true story. If God's people are prayerless and the church is prayerless, he just needs to assign one demon to maybe keep us depressed and discouraged and defeated. But if it's a house with just a man and woman sold out to prayer, seeking God in prayer, communing with God in prayer, that shakes up hell so much he has to send a bunch of demons trying to disrupt that prayer that's taking place. This morning... If you don't know Christ as your Savior, during this time of invitation, you can be set apart to God. You can be taken out of your sin and set apart to Him and belong to Him if you'll admit that you're a sinner. I'll say, well, I don't like doing that. That, 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 that kind of hurts my feelings. It won't hurt as much as hell. For all eternity, I promise you. Well, I don't know what other people would think of me. Guess what? They had to do the same thing because we've all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God and none of us are anything without Jesus. He's our only hope. So if you don't know Christ as your Savior this morning, I want to encourage you that you make your first really meaningful prayer this to God in just a moment. God, I admit that I'm a sinner. God, I believe that Jesus paid the full penalty for my sin on the cross. God, I'm putting once and for all faith in Jesus. I'm giving you my life. I'm going to live for you. You pray that during this service. And if you pray that, please come up here at the front and let me know that that's what you prayed before you leave. For the rest of us that know Christ as our Savior, this invitation, I want to be a prayer time. Not a prayer time with somebody or for somebody. But a prayer time just to where you seriously reflect upon your own heart, you ponder your own heart, and you get serious with God, and just maybe tell God this morning that 2018 is going to be a time of more prayerfulness in your life. I'm not telling you this, trying to motivate you to move. You only move if you think God wants you to. But in the first service, I think probably about 98% of the people here moved in some degree. Whether they came and sat at the front, went to a corner to pray, came up here and kneeled at the front or whatever. And I told them at the end of the service, if you mean that, if that many of you are going to be that serious in prayer in 2018, I can't wait to see what God's going to do. 
So I want to challenge you during this invitation time, if you know Christ is your Savior, I know you can pray right where you are, but I think uh, even a little bit of movement, show some movement toward God. Get up and move. Go to a corner. Go to a wall and stand. Come here at the front and kneel. Come to some chairs up here at the front or different chairs where other people move and sit down during this time and tell God that you're serious about this and tell God you want to spend more time setting yourself apart to Him in your life to spend time in prayer. Father, forgive us for our prayerlessness. Father, if there's someone here that doesn't know Christ, give them the faith they need right now and the boldness they need right now to publicly say yes to Jesus. Jesus publicly died on a cross for us. So, Father, we, we pray if there's anyone here today that needs to trust Christ, give them that faith they need and the boldness they need to, to let others know. Help them to be honest with themselves and with you and admit that they're a sinner and understand their only hope is in Jesus and, 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 and give faith to Jesus and, Lord, help them to repent of their sin, to turn away from their sin and turn to you and keep walking toward you, keep separating themselves more and more to you. And fathers, believers... God, we don't want to be a church that one demon could be on the roof and take care of. Father, I pray that we'll rededicate ourselves to have such prayer lives that we shake the very gates of hell. Father, I believe if we're praying like we should, other things will happen that should happen in our lives and in this church. Father, help us right now to make renewed commitments to set ourselves apart to you in prayer. In Jesus' name and for his glory, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.